welcome to the new Uppsala podcast. Another week, I don't know what week this is. Whatever. This week, the three of us will be going over the creation of mankind specifically. Not the entire creation. We'll probably tell that story. But we're probably not going to go into detail about the larger creation, but more so man and how we came to be and what was given to us and what light and how it all happened. So, yeah. Should be interesting. Yeah, it'll be good. Um, and it's going to be it comes in a few different things. I mean, okay, I'm blurry. That's cool. I don't know how to work with any background. That's fun. Um, so, okay, we're just going to keep playing it. Um, so it's going to encompass a lot of things. Obviously, we will discuss there are a lot of similarities in all cultures, belief systems, like that. Um, but there's obviously huge differences. Um, we're just going to discuss ours and not that it is right or wrong to others. This is merely the opinion and what culture and or religious practice we follow and how it's viewed in that particular pantheon. Not to say others are wrong, others are right, whatever else. We learn from all things, but this is the path we follow and how we perceive or have been taught or learned on the creation of mankind, um, including man and woman as a whole. So we can start off real simple on the names of the first man and woman, which is Rain Raven. It is not Rain Raven, but I'm going to have him tell you. Uh, oh, how awesome would that be if I took my name and it was actually the first man? That'd be kind of dope. Uh, but for the first man, his name was Ask. A S, or you know, spelled the same way as Ask. Uh, but pronounced Ask is how I've always pronounced it. Um, give it some Norwegian flair, or you know, it's not all right. Uh, ask is the first man. No, I don't know. I've I've just always said Osk. And then um the uh first female would be Embla, which is E M B L A. Yep, and I always got ask just because of the pronunciation, but Osk is much more like to your term, like it's a little bit more gothy feeling. <laughs> authentic no over there and they're like that's not how you pronounce that at all but thank you i mean it's all about pronunciation there's there's not one way of where it says like all right you have the spelling and it's like pronunciate osk with a u s k like that's how it sounds versus ask there's to each their own um you know that's how i've always done it from day one i was like it says ask but that just sounds so weird. Like, ask the first man of mankind, according to the Norse pantheon. You can ask him. He won't know, but you can ask him. <laughs> Sigvitor, you're muted. At least they're not saying stuff like ask him, because that's infuriating to my English brain. <laughs> or does ask? so the the origin of the stories could be and this is how i've always seen it is they're derived from their original form that they had 
before they were formed into humans. Uh, so Odin, Billy Vey, um, that's how I'm going to do it because, uh, depending on the translation, they could be named different things like Odin or, um, you know, very variables. So I'm just going to do Odin Billy Vey. It's most commonly known. Um, so after Midgard was created, an unknown amount of time has passed. They filled everything. The grass was all green. Um, the waters were all, you know, common day. That's what it looks like now. Um, except for, you know, you have, yeah, you got to put some scientific in there. If you put it in the creation, if you, that's your personal uh, viewpoint. Um, but after the creation of Midgard, parentheses Earth, was created and formed from Ymir. <laughs> um, they were wandering, and this is from what I've heard, read, and, you know, how I've developed it in my head of the creation of man. They were wandering Midgard, and they saw it was barren. They needed uh, intellectual life. There was animals and all around. So they were walking around and on the beach, they saw two logs in the shape of common day mankind. Um, one was an ash tree and then one was an elm tree. And I will give you a second to give a rough guess to yourself of which one became the man and which one came the woman. Oh, I know. All right, Sigvidir, please, from the front row, come on down and please tell oh me goodness. the first man, which one was the man, which one was ass or Osk? No, so I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that Ask was made from the ash tree. That's a good go see. I know. <laughs> and yeah, I think the other way around, because you know you'd look at that and just the first thing's out of... Ask's mouth would be like, that's a nice ash. So I figured that would have been the woman, right? You're not wrong. It's, I, I can it's see a possibility. Possible. And the elm turned into Embla. Yes. One of our students would be very happy that we know this. Because um, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't. And we, uh, <laughs> it was like, all right, so you're going to go back and read this story. Um, but yeah, that's how I've always uh, remembered it was they were walking down the beach, saw an ash tree, elm tree, or logs uh, in the shape of humans. And uh, I can't remember on the top of my head, but Odin, Vili, and Vey, they each breathed life into them. A certain aspect, one was memory, one was senses, and one was being oh. or something like that. So what it came down to was Odin gave mankind soul. Um, oh shit, I don't have the book in front of me either. It's upstairs because I had to use it, it in a research paper. It says Odin and Lothur, but it's the same concept as Odin, Villain Bay. It's just like hypostasis of Odin himself. Uh, but yes, uh, Odin gave soul. Uh, Hona or Vili 
gave sense and uh, basically being or whatever else was they. Yes. Which I didn't say. Uh, yes. I have the Jackson Crawford edition because um, they he does the Odin Villivay, and I always get confused during uh, the Holander edition of which one is Vili for the Holdor and Lothar because I want to say Vili is Holdor because Holdor and Vili is a common translation in German I want to say and one was uh, Freya's lost husband yes and I want to say that's Vili and that Honor and Lothar are Vili and Vey, yes. respectively. And, you know, I want to say, just as uh, Wolf said it, um, as my camera freezes, but um, it's it can be interpreted. Um, I don't personally subscribe to it, but it can be interpreted that um, Vili and Vey are projections of Odin. I've heard that theory. Um just personally I don't subscribe to it. They're I see it as like the three sisters, um, you know, the three Norns, the three brothers. It just makes sense in my head. Um and and a lot of that, I mean there's a whole lot you could back up with it either way. Um but a big reason people subscribe to it's him split into three personalities or three parts of himself is because of the stories of when he's away and Frigg sleeps with Villian Bay. And so that is basically like if they wanted to protect her, I guess, faithfulness or whatever you want to call it, which there is, and then and there is a completely different concept to us. It's not as we see it now. Um, but it, I would see it as them coming up with. It could have been all Odin, but three different versions of him, just to kind of respect and give sanctity to the marriage or the binding of the two people. Which, if you talk about that with him and Heimdall or Rig on Earth, then it's out the window. But this is, I think, I think it's a way to protect Frigg's kind of personality or stance. Right. And I was going to say, Odin himself doesn't really prescribe to how they deal, so... Yeah, but... Yeah. It but it's also Frigg is seen as the the household right. um goddess um but yeah she, she she's the family matron of all family yeah like she's there during birth she's there during the name giving of a child she's this big you know influence on your life it's like finding out your grandma was a crack dealer and you're like damn I could have gotten some good shit but at the same time it's not cool yeah, but I don't Sweet know. Home Alabama. Wait, what? <laughs> and, you know, because we find this out during the Lokasana. Um, I want to say that's the first times it's mentioned um, within the poetic edda. I can't remember on the top of my head on which uh, story or which story, essentially, of the prose edda it comes from. Um, but it's one of the three uh but yeah it's in the lokasana where loki is insulting everyone at the round table for not getting invited to the dinner um and he's like fine you don't want to invite me i'll just spread truth around everything and every everything he said is true about things that 
don't want to be heard. And that's where in my head is it emphasizes that they're different beings. It was like, well, you got the patron of a perfect household sleeping with other unmarried or uh, sleeping with other married, married men. So that's how I do it. Yeah. And I, do, and I do wonder if there is any sort of research or stories or whatever else talking about villain vase, maybe offspring and or wife and or other thing. Like maybe we're, maybe if something's missing on their context that we can kind of connect dots with. Cause a lot of the time we go to villain Bay, we just focus on those two to see what the answer is, but maybe there's a lot more of a surrounding lore that doesn't necessarily mention it, but may have said stepbrother or blood or something like that that we're missing that might, connect dots a little bit easier in one way or the other but I don't know. so here's the issue with those two because i did dive into this pretty hard and heavy those names vili and vey are mentioned less than 10 times through all of our lore and most of them most of those mentioned mentions are with the keenings of honir and lotha and vili and vey so it's it's super weird the yeah i think it's it's less than 10, I can guarantee that. I want to say it's less than 7, if my memory serves. I think it's like 7 times that they're mentioned total. But, I don't have any fucking books in front of me, because they're upstairs right now. I don't want to go get them, but I'm not going to. But yeah, so they're not mentioned, and the issue comes down to... We struggle to find them anywhere else, so their lore is missing. One of the common theories that I've run into is when your Midgard is created and Asgard is set up, they take on different roles as almost ambassadors. Um, if I want to swear it's in the war between the Aesir and the Vanir that Honir and Mimir are given to the Vanir as hostages in exchange. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm running with it. Because we know Mimir was given over as a hostage and he was decapitated and his head was thrown in a well. There was another hostage that was given over and I could have sworn it's Honir. Now, the other time that Lothar is almost never mentioned again. However, this is, again, this is my personal research. I cannot verify this offhand. I cannot give sources. I will try to get those here shortly-ish. But if I'm not mistaken, Lothar takes on the name of Uller in his own right and is secluded from the Aesir but lives in Asgard in the Udale. This is a fairly common theory is that they took on different roles in, society, in that society. There's also mention of Uller taking a seat on the throne of Asgard when Odin is learning Seedir magic from Freya. Um, that one's kind of, there's a couple different people that they like to throw into that. I think Tyr is one of them. I think Uller is one of them. I think Frey took it at one point or something like that. Yeah, there's well, a... we know Frey was on the seat, but I was he was just say trying that, to get laid. That, that's, there's a whole story about that one. Yeah, Frey was just trying to get laid. Um, it was literally survive Ragnarok or get laid, and he chose get laid. Um, but, Sigvidir, um, you are correct. It was Holnir and Mimir. Memory served me well. So, we believe that Honir, the reason we don't know anything about him, 
is because we don't know what's going on in Vonheim or what in the Vonir realm. We don't know. We have no real lore about what happens there outside of our own intuition, knowing who Frey, Freya, and Njord are, and knowing that they're more nature-centric in that way, and they're closely related to the Alfs. So we assume that in Vonaheim, there is that style mentality. So we think he just fucked off over there. And then at the end of Ragnarok, Onir comes back to be the reader of the Blood Wand. And the one that wields the Blood Wands. I want to say that's Bay becomes the Blood Witch. I'm about 99% positive. That it's Onir. I've had this conversation a couple times with some interesting people. But I'm going to run and grab my books real quick and let you guys ramble for a second so I can actually verify my shit. Okay. Um, really, they not pertinent to the conversation, but... Hey, but they, but they yeah. are. Um, you know, it's, it's good to know backstory of who breath lifed into you, and I just stand corrected. It was Holnir. Comes the Blood Witch. Gotcha. And I have, I've been reading it recently, obviously, because of what we're talking about. And I've kind of come across a, a theory that I never really thought of before, but I see in a reoccurring theme in multiple sources. And that is that Asla, or Oscar Embla, um, were alive and roaming the earth, but they didn't have any anything. They were just mindless thrown until they're put into these things. Now that could be a few things. There's a few different that if we need to, I, I'll, I'll, I'll read them and we'll go through them. Um, but basically, it is, and I kind of get where they're going with it, is that they were trees and or plants, like, you know, obviously um, the Asmiel, but it actually says, like, in their vegetative state until Odin and two other gods breathe life and things into them. So, a lot of people think they're going to walk up, pick up some fucking driftwood, which is the way I pictured it in my mind, honestly, is they picked up driftwood and made it into mankind. But all these sources I'm kind of picking at, which we'll kind of get into each one, is that they were already and a live being, but they didn't have purpose or any thought or anything with it until they like breathe these senses into them. And that could mean that they were the trees, essentially Etans before they became man or whatever else. So it's like giving this knife knowledge and you know all these things into a plant, which is interesting to me. I thought that was fascinating. Xavier, what, uh, what do you discover? So, one, I am correct. It's Honir, and the 62, that wields the blood wands. Um, so, yes. Two, isn't that, in essence, a statement of evolution? Yes, but somehow, and I was just thinking that, too, is it somehow evolution and creation? It's basically augmented reality in that you exist and we're going to implant these things in you and now you're essentially another thing entirely 
the same construct, but a completely different ability type of thing. Right. So it, was sometimes, it would be like the evolution of plants, but the creation of mankind in the will and mental state. So it's like creating, it's like AI. Like there's computers, and then they create AI. And then AI gets so advanced, yada yada. We'll talk about, you know, like Terminator, and it starts creating its own self and becomes its own thing. And that's basically humankind is this virus that just spread until everyone's like, shit, it's too late. But uh, basically, that's what it is. It's, it's an evolution of plant and or nature until the gods stepped in and made it mankind. Right. Which is super interesting because that leads, because I say it all the time, our culture, our religion, whatever it is, is, in my opinion, the most non-biased when it comes to the merging of science and religion. Don't call Scientology that. I know. they'll, They'll get super mad at me, and that's okay. We can have that conversation. But we joke about it all the time. Oprah will just kill you in your sleep or something. It's going to be crazy. She can't get in my house. I have stairs. Um, (laughs) Sorry, that was kind of fucked up. But we joke all the time about Yggdrasil, Yggdrasil being dark matter. We joke about it. We had these crazy ideas about four or five years ago. Then lately, fairly recently, I think it was in the last year, science came out saying, well, yeah, it's more like a tree with branches. They go everywhere. And we're like, holy fuck, we knew it. Um, But we merged science in a lot of different ways. Now, before mankind was put on Midgard, if I'm not mistaken, there was already a fairly developed ecosystem. We had plants. There was probably animals that were eating the plants. There was bugs using decomposition and fueling. And all of those things were in place. How far off would we have to be to think that these trees or non-sentient things, in all reality, were wandering around on a beach and in an effort to describe how they were molded, they use the carving of wood, which is a fairly easy way to explain things. Back in that time, wood carvings were fairly normal. So if we took that and realized that they're relating the carving of wood to the forming of thought, memory, senses, a soul, what if this was just Neanderthals or something of a more primitive style hominid in science that Odinville and Bay went, we can make that better. And they just fiddle fucked around with genetics because they're the gods, and I wouldn't argue that they wouldn't understand that. So possibly this is how the missing link of prior hominids to mankind that we know it now as humans, homo sapiens, whatever, wondering if that's how this came to be because that was the carving of genetic material and the only way that they could describe carving or revealing something that was underneath was through wood so essentially the missing link is just the van here arguably the ace here yeah van here more from 
nature, I would argue. But yes, um, but we know that Odinville and Vey or Honir, Odin, Honir, and Lothar, however you want to say it, are the ones that made mankind into what it is. So I would argue it was Aesir gods that made mankind. And it tracks because we're the most war-driven fucking homicidal maniac species on this fucking planet. Piranhas are kind of dicks. What? Piranhas are kind of dicks, too. They have a job, though. We don't have a fucking job. We just screw things up. Like, they have a purpose. They take care of the decomposing matter or shit that falls into rivers. We're the ones that puts the decomposing matter in the river. We're idiots. And to kind of go off of this, obviously there's going to be a lot of different variations. Um, The first thing I'm going to read... It doesn't strike true on one way or the other, so that's that fun Switzerland neutral, um, is the Poetic Edda uh, translated by Liam Hollander. Uh, in that, on page three, in the Prophecy of the Cirrus, or as the, we know as the Veluspa, um, on 17 and 18, essentially. Okay? This is, now, this is talking about the creation, but it does not really say one way or the other. It's kind of vague. It says, To the coast then came kind and mighty, from the gathered gods, three great Aesir, right? So three great Aesir is the coast. And the coast is referring to Midgard in that sense. Um, on the land they found of little strength, Askan Embla, unfated yet. So they found Askan Embla, unfated and of little strength. Now that could be driftwood that had been like a live bark that fell off the tree, still has some life but is dying. Um, this could be two gelatinous oozes of homunculus just droning around. Um, and the next one is a little bit just, that's kind of what I want to send home, but this one is, uh, the next one is, since they possess sense, they possess not, soul they had not, being nor bearing, nor blooming hue. Soul gave Othin, sense gave Honir, and uh, being Lothur, and blooming hue. So, like, that's the kind of creation verses in those ones. Um, obviously, there's more to it. They talk about ash and whatever else. But as they came across, it still says they came across and they found of little strength, ask an envelope. Like, they were already there in some capacity. Not they picked up a log and said, this is asking this for us. Sorry. So I'm just reading through the prose edda really quick on this just to see if there's anything else in here that we can bring up. Because there's this, and now this is the prose edda, take it with a grain of salt. It is saying that this was done in Troy. On the coast of Troy. You and I kind of talked about that once on a tangent with a with a it wasn't a student. It was just a heathen on trade routes through like Helen of Troy type thing, and like yeah. Spartan and went through all of that stuff. You and I kind of came across that theory though that Troy was because the hub, kind of the civilization, and then a lot of people. This is where it ties into other cultures and beliefs. Is this is like saying um, was it the not the, Medi- the Mediterranean uh, was like the cradle of humanity or yeah. whatever else. Yeah. Uh, it's Mesopotamia, essentially. And yeah, yep. And that's actually yeah. prevalent throughout the entirety of the prose, 
with that is where Thor got his name, was Troy. This is where a lot of those stories cross over. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and that makes sense. I When I was um, overseas last, I went to a uh, kind of like always hate that I remember the name of it, uh, Mesopotamian uh, exhibit. And it was the largest collection of Mesopotamian artifacts. Um, and I walked, I saw the pictures, it was great, but it was insane because it was, it's, it's one of those split in hands, it was at the same time as X, Y, and Spray. But their carvings in their stones and their product, whatever else, was that of dragon ships, like how we perceive Viking warships right now. Those were the main con, or the main transportation of the Mesopotamian culture of the cradle of life. In theory. But... Those are carved in these stone etches. Like, there's no denying that's what is carved. Uh, it's just on the who came first, the, you know, the Norse or the Mesopotamian. Which a lot of people are like, that's a dumb question. But here we are, answering that question. It's, it's, um, I just wrote, I've been in this college class for, like, a minute now. Where we go over Mesopotamia and different cultures throughout the world. Great class, thoroughly appreciate it. Shout out to that college that I'm not going to mention because I'm sponsored. But um, we went over that, and from the creation time frame, from the earliest written cultures that we have, they say it came out of Mesopotamia, but there's no date. There's no like. They carbon dated it, but there's nothing really there to say that that was the only place that life existed. It's this super weird ideal, and culturally, we have no verification as to how old Northern European, Scandinavian cultures really are in the grand scheme of understanding and how far they date. We just don't know. So it, it's just one of those things where it's hard to date stuff like this. So were was the first people created in Mesopotamia? Sure. Tell me what Pangea looked like. Tell me where exactly Mesopotamia was in the grand scheme of Pangea when the world was first created. Let's go over that. Because then you have this idea of well, then everything was connected. Exactly. So where weren't at that point? If that's how old our cultures really are, where's the, where's the break point of where everything started? So that, that's my stance. I get it, but... I, I think to your point, a very explicit way of saying, no, here on the Earth is where life started. To your point, picture the Earth before there was separation. Line that up, which you can do. There's, you know, the tectonic plates, everything with it, to actually see where it might lie. I think we did this once. Um, we did for an entirely different purpose. Right. Um, and so you can do that. And in reality, it might be Siberia. It might land in, like, some other, in, like, South Africa. But to your point, like, where it starts and expands, and then if the world expands... It could still be the starting point, and at the same time, be everyone's cultural start as well. Um, 
So the one I just read, the one we kind of just said, um, in is in no way hinting one way or the other would be the poetic edda, uh, and that's translated by Liam Hollander. Um, Rain Raven, I think you already read it, um, but if you have the uh, Crawford version, mine's in the Bulluspa on seventeen. Um, it, it, you may have already read it or mentioned it, um, but if you can find it. Um, if not, we can move on, we can come back. I've got plenty of material. What are we uh, going to see what it says to kind of simplify it. Yeah, sorry. I was just looking at um, going off a rabbit hole of you get, when we were talking about when humans, there was like the monkeys and everything in evolution. I was like, what was the link or the last link between when humans transitioned from monkeys and I just found it and it was Lucy. So uh, I was trying to figure that out with being with uh, Embla, seeing if there was a connection. Uh, but you said Santa 17, White Wolf? Uh, yeah, it's just the discussing of like the first coming about of asking him. Yeah. Because again, this one, and I'll just read real quick just to feed off of it. Uh, to the coast then came kind and mighty from the gathered gods three great Asia. on the land they found of little strength ask an embla unfated yet so um yep i'm just gonna go a couple more stanzas to just uh, fill it in from the jacks crawford edition three gods powerful and passionate left asgard for midgard they found osk and embla weak fateless in that land they had no breath, no soul, no hair, no voice. They looked inhuman. Odin gave them breath, Olnir gave them souls, and Loth gave them hair and human faces. I know an ash tree named Yggdrasil a high tree. Oh, that goes off. But yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, more common tongue. Odin gave them breath, Olnir gave them souls, and Loth gave them hair and human faces according to the Jax Crawford edition. That's interesting. It switched them around. Because in Liam Hollander's Odin gave them soul. But the idea is not who gave what, it's how they came across or created. Okay. Um, so I just looked at a map of Pangea just to, for shits and giggles. Turkey is actually down by the coast of Africa. So Africa's down here at the bottom. You pull Turkey down and Norway, Sweden, Iceland, Greenland, all those northern European countries are connected by land. It's not that crazy of a hypothesis that people just traveled up there. So maybe... <laughs> So everyone's right, and the world is at peace now. Get the fuck over it. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all started in the same <laughs> No, and, you know, we all, uh, the human skeletal system and, you know, uh, scientists that do this for a job and everything and just trying to find the truth of where humankind came from and the path of evolution that we came on it all leads back to africa yeah 
Yeah. That's kind of crazy, though. I'm mm -hmm. just looking at this map, because, like what Will said, we've been over this before in a totally different context and looking for something entirely different. But we've done this before, and I never put that one together. It's crazy. But also, according to this map, would explain why Antarctica is technically a landmass mm -hmm. under an ice shelf, because it is not the further most southern area on this map. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, so where it all started, how they came about, I mean, could it be evolutionary? Absolutely. Could it be the gods using magic to carve them out of legitimate wood? Absolutely. There's nothing there that can say otherwise. So it's just, it's interesting in that regard, being that either answer is okay. Regardless of the way that you process the information that's presented, you have an equal opportunity of being correct in your your unverified personal gnosis as to how that happened. All right, for this one, because this one has Honir, Loki, and Odin in a it's pleasant. This one is playing more into the they created them out of wood concept, though. Okay, which book is this? This one is Norse Myths and Tale. It's all shiny. Uh, I believe Rampion has this book. It is uh, forward by Dr. Brittany Scorn. This is, I, my, I learned my background because I'm still setting up my office. And yeah, there's like yeah, a yeah. thousand cowboy hats behind me, so I apologize. Yeah. It's downstairs. But yes, I do have that book. I bet I know exactly. I think it's your third shelf down on your left bookcase, like 18th in or something, or 8th in or something like that. Oh, uh, we did some rearranging, okay. but you're kind of close. Oh, oh. <laughs> my bad. Um, okay. So this one takes place on page 28. Uh, it just is titled as The First Humans. I'm not going to read this whole page because I'm not going to read it out loud. No one needs to hear this whole thing. But. Parts of it says, that's, this is going to be a little bit longer, guys, I apologize. The brothers looked at one another being, well, I guess I should probably get over this one. It says, oh, he says he was really they. Really was known as Honar. They became Luthor, or Lothor, or Loki. Okay, we're not even going to discuss that. Um... <laughs> The brothers looked at one another and looked out across the crisp sand. This is after they created Midgard. Um, there lay on the shore two pieces of driftwood which had been flung onto the coast from the sea. Um, and as their eyes caught sight of them, each brother shared the same thought. They raced, the, they raced towards the wood, and Honor stood over the first piece so that his shadow lay across it. And the wood appeared at once to have arms and legs. Loki did the same. Again, this is from this book. Don't. Um, Loki did the same with the second piece of wood, but he moved rather more animatedly. So the wood appeared to dance in the sunlight. And then Odin bent down and blew a great divine breath across the first piece of wood. There in front of them, the bark, the water-soaked edges of the log began to peel away and there was a body of a pale, naked woman appeared. She lay there, still and not breathing. Odin moved her over to the next, pe or moved over to the next piece of wood and blew once more. 
Again, the wood curled back to reveal the body of a naked man. He lay as still as the woman. And that's when it gets into who breathed gave what and whatever else. Um, but again, this is like this is like they say they got the wood, but like inside the wood was mankind already. Which, if we want to get a little bit further into this, talks about and makes sense into the humans that survive Ragnarok take shelter in the world tree. And this is where they would have been fused with the world tree and basically in a hibernated state until they were rediscovered, most like booty in the salt that Ahumla licks free. So this could be the cycle starting with mankind. Okay. So. In essence, what we're taking is the gods, the Aesir, the Vanir, whatever, they start in the elemental forces of fire and ice, respectively, depending on the cycle. We've, I think we've touched on that before. We can get into it if we need to. And mankind starts with the cycle of plants and trees and the life force there. Okay. Which, which is, I've heard is argued, both Banner and Aesir, gods, are connected to nature. And the only reason I say that, or it is theorized, is, and this is an awful thing to say, but it's the only way we conceive it as mankind, is gods or religion as a whole is like Bitcoin. It doesn't have value unless you give it value. And the more value it has is based off the more people that give it a bigger value. So if the majority of the world believes in Christianity, the Christian God is proud. But if the whole world believes in one, then it's the other. So it's said that the Aesir and the Vanir exist only in nature and only because of nature, which means it only exists because of mankind and only exists through mankind through the belief that mankind and or nature gives them. It believe they exist in theory, of our value of their worth, in a sense. I mean, immediate thought, I went back to Supernatural, where they, uh, the old gods are having a meeting, um, this was, like, season three or four, yes. and, uh, uh, Luther's coming back, um, Satan's coming back, and on Earth, and he's coming with a vengeance and everything like that. And they're like, well, we were here first. And it was like, well, more people believe in me. And that's why uh, Luther's more powerful and just snaps everyone's neck and without a blink in an eye. And this is all the religions like Odin was there. Um, I can't remember. They had, like, Hindu, they had Egyptian. They had, they had everybody. Yeah, they had pieces of every culture. Um, and the Christianity, the Christians, uh, deities, they, uh, were reign supreme because more people believed in them. And vaguely, I remember this quote of, there was like a, an episode or something like that where, um, it was like Hindu gods or something like that. And, uh, they're like, we were so powerful so more powerful because of all the sacrifices you humans gave us. So it, it feeds into uh, what you said, White Wolf, of we give them power by believing in them. Um, and 100% I am with you with Vanir, our um, 
the embodiments of nature. Um, when it comes to Aesir, certain ones come with it. Uh, other ones are hard to tie with nature-wise, like plant life. Um, like Odin, for example. I have a hard time tying him with like plants. But with poetry and everything like that and knowledge, it's that's naturistic to me. So certain aspects, yes, but um, yeah, that just made me think about it. And this concept is one that I learned very early on in my path as a heathen overall. And it was that it nature creates nature, creates nature, blah, blah. And so, and, and this is before I read this, obviously, because this is the first time I really like read that through. Um, and super Upar, I'll, I'll let you go off before I start kind of re- turning this back to, well, let's just say this ties back to they didn't carve them out of the wood. They were in the wood and they just simply brought life to the wood and basically animated the wood to get it to separate from the humankind that's already inside. It is also said the humankind will hide inside the you know, tree of life at the end of our Ragnarok cycle now. Right. So, now, uh, go ahead, Sigvidir, sorry. No, you're good. You're um, good. Um, yeah. Science, science does its own thing in regards to this. You've all seen the pictures of what synapses in the brain look like compared to the growths or the eye compared to the universe or muscle fibers to other things in nature. And there's, there's stuff like that and cells to different pieces. It's crazy. The similarities we have to nature in general, just if you look at your fingerprint and the lines in a cut tree, same thing. You still have your fingerprints? Surprisingly, yes. You're gonna have to fix that, like Men in Black style. You know what I'm talking about? Little ball just. Yep. I got a. I got a wood burner in here. We'll burn the shit out of it. All right. Sounds good to me. Go ahead, Rainer. Evan, what were you saying? So, when I know the story you're talking about with the the two individuals that go into. Ragnarok, uh, Yggdrasil during Ragnarok, but I've never in my head depicted it or like envisioned that they went and they, you know, they hid behind uh branches or uh uh bark in Yggdrasil. It was more of they were already within Yggdrasil and through the fire they became uh freed to be clear. They hide in the roots of the agency, which allows them to survive the fire. Fire doesn't burn under dirt. And I just heard, I mean, it does. Um, but I just heard that it that they took refuge in the world tree. And the way I picture it is like coming across a tree with a big knot, like a squirrel's home, mm-hmm. and them going in there. And that, that's how I pictured it. Yeah. You're thinking you picture it a little differently, like, they're they're being freed from you just still I'm a little confused on yeah your, so your... um they were they were already in Yggdrasil um they've been in Yggdrasil since Yggdrasil was created um and with all the cycles they're becoming more and more to the surface and uh Lif 
and Lithrafsir, um, the two names of the next set of humans, uh, are going to be for the next cycle after Ra this current cycle of Ragnarok. Um, they were already within Yggdrasil, and through the fire, it burned away that layer of bark and life. And they were freed from Yggdrasil to then inhabit the earth. And then that's how evolution comes. And we're not set in a. Everyone's not homo sapiens for the rest of time. That's how I see the so evolution. You the, so you see the next cycle of mankind already in a, a cocoon status essentially right now. Yeah. Kind of just like. Um, when at the beginning of the story for Havamal. Okay. Why will you all right? No, he's dead. Yeah. I was getting freaking out. There it is. You <laughs> your camera was broken just again. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and turn that back off. <laughs> I was, like, I was looking for a book. I didn't think it was that bad, but okay. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Okay, so that was the version of the first human. Now, there's, uh, there's a, a little bit more to that. Um, However, that is the, the quick synopsis of the epic tales, Norse myths, and tales version of the creation. Um, the one before that was the poetic edda from Leanne Hollander. We did discuss a little bit with Jackson Crawford's version, only because him and the Hollander version are the poetic edda. They fall in the same realm. They kind of buffer with one another while still you know, a little bit contrast. Um, we also went into the another one. Yeah, and Bros is what, bro, even brother. Um, another one kind of takes a little bit of a turn. Um, it's not it's not so much focused on the creation of Ask and Embla, but simply like that they're mentioned in passing through the dwarves. Right. So this was a little bit little bit deeper in a thought, and this is a very deep thinking book that I'm looking at. It's really cool, but I'm, I highlighted a paragraph just to, I mean, I hate my camera, just to show it's not long, and I honestly haven't read front and back this book at all, um, but this is where it kind of comes to the most of it. Wait, uh, it's talking about, so this one is The Mask of Odin, Wisdom of the Ancient Norse, from Elsa Britta Kitchenell. Yeah. The head behind it, the focus. Probably there not. There it goes. It's on my uh, to buy Probably list. Not. You should buy it. Um, so, this one, real quick, um, there is actually a lot more to it, but I'll just read until I stop highlighting. Uh, yeah, it really is very folks and leprechauns in the, in the paragraph before. So, we're deep into, we're deep in the lore. Um, it says the dwarfs are said to follow in Vali's train because the lower kingdoms receive the impulse to growth. In the impulse to growth from Valin. 
Valen is, no, is in parentheses, this is Valen, the entranced, the entranced, the human soul which has not yet become awake to its potential, right? Valen's train is humankind that has not yet become awake to its potential. After that, it says, pictured as Askin Emblem is how they're saying it. So they're using Volley's train in the sense and comparison of Oscan Embla. So pictured as Oscan Embla, and it says Ashen Alder, miniatures of the world tree Yggdrasil. The human race was still in a vegetative condition sans thought, mind, and growing only as the plants do without consciousness of self until the gods looked back and saw their plight. The planet was then still in process of being fashioned by children of Evaldi, the giant period whose lifetime was our moon. Now, that's a lot to unpack, including the name drop of the children of Evaldi and what that means, including going to the dwarfs' mind and religious concept of Valen's train, and a little bit more on the Aspen Emblem being they're pictured as like they're literally using it as a reference as if that's just like oh now it's gonna blow over there yeah that can be referring to like the forest if they're talking about that but it says again and i will won't read the parentheses the dwarves are said to follow Valen's train because the lower kingdoms receive the impulse to growth from Valen. the um pictured as Askin Embla. Miniatures of the world tree Yggdrasil. The human race was still in a vegetative condition. That's where I kind of ended it there. So again, existing, vegetative, just like it says, and then it says like the next line, um, growing only as the plants do without consciousness of self. So it's just rotation. It's just your, your movement, your brain, your muscle movement, everything with it, but no purpose or thought so that one side mentions it but also does kind of insinuate it's they're existing already without those elements so okay. that one's a little bit different sorry i'm verifying a source really quick before yeah. i go off no, uh, it's it's a different take that I've haven't um heard of or I mean if I've never heard of it I can't really say I've thought about it but uh it's something that I'm gonna have to think about and you know self reflect on my own worldview um but while Sigvider's verifying his resource, another thing that I wanted to bring up was we're not the only ones that have creation. If, uh, you know, you got the Christians with Adam and Eve, um, many different belief systems have a version of how we became who we are today. And I think it's to give us a sense of purpose of we were created for a reason and that's what religion is it's a comfort of the what if and that's the beauty in it and another thing when we've been diving in this topic that i 
have known for a long time, but I hate how I have to acknowledge it. It's a, we, we develop all these theories, but we're never going to know in this lifetime. There's no way of remembering forgotten stories. The only way that we're going to be given a for sure answer is if the gods themselves come down and not in a shadowy state or in a dream or anything, but, you know, come down and be like, yep, I'm Odin, the all father. Um, I, you know, I travel the world and everything. Uh, I got some two ravens and, and you know, these, uh, cute little dogs right here that you think are chihuahuas. Well, they're actually wolves and don't lie because they'll eat you. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Odin. Uh, let's do an uh, AMA. And that's the only way we'll find out the real answers behind all these theories that just us three um, have talked about, digested, and, you know, we told our students the variable different theories of how we've tried to fill in the blanks. And that's kind of what all these theories are in the essence is filling in the blank of reasoning and how this supports this idea, this worldview. Um, yeah. So not the greatest source, but I have another one. Um, no offense to him, but from what I could gather in my short time, verifying a source out of this book, that's another, which is a, that's another good book. It's a great book. Don't get me wrong. It's a great book. I just tried to verify the source as a scholarly source. Didn't really find anything to support it. You know, he does really, he does well. I have nothing against it, but in his, Oh, what's, in, what's the book? You didn't the say. Viking Spirit by Daniel McCoy. Um, it digs in a little bit deeper. It does reference Odinvillian Vey, not the other names. Um, and then it goes into exactly what was given and from which god. Um, and then they named them. The, essentially, it's the same story. There's not much of a difference. Other than this last little paragraph that I want to read out loud, it states, again, this is The Viking Spirit by Daniel McCoy. Last paragraph on page 147. Three divine the three divine brothers escorted them to their home in Midgard at the center of the land, ringed by the newly erected wall to protect them from the baleful giants. From them have come all humans who have ever inhabited Earth. Remember my crazy bullshit theory? Garden of Eden, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> but then the crazy conspiracy theory about the ice walls, the polar caps being walls. Interesting. But yeah, no, it's essentially the same story on the creation of mankind, other than they were escorted into 
the center of the land and said, propagate. Um, which, again, in the time frame of this, because we know tectonic plates move, we know Pangea split after the creation of the world at some point. The center of the world would have been around Turkey to Spain in that general area. So, yeah, interesting. And so the Garden of Eden is just a dune's garden, and the apple that went missing, which is the forbidden apple from the god, is really of the gods. And they're taking it, giving them through that. Sure. Yeah, 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 we can go that. So, according to a, a really quick Google search, the Garden of Eden is actually in Australia, Sigvidir. So, you're wrong. Well, I've heard it's in like I heard like it's in like three different places. I've heard it's in like Wisconsin, <laughs> as well as like Africa. Like the Mormons believe it's in Utah. So of course. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we nah. so we talked about. Nature and the missing link and yada yada what else? The conversation with him to have as well, but in the same book of the Masters of Odin, um, basically the next two paragraphs. This creation of mankind goes for like ten pages. It's huge, honestly. Like it's way more in depth than anything I've read in the poetic eddas or any of the eddas, mind you. Um. So I'll wait. A little bit, but it does more sort support the theory of evolution, mankind, that missing link concept, as well as being what creates both mankind and the gods. Um, so this paragraph that, or not, it's not a whole paragraph, it's part of it, is what I'll read again, uh, or for the first time from this, but it supports the first one, um, insinuating that humankind or humanity existed before the gods gave them these gifts and were kind of just realms, right? So this one says, humanity whose plight roused the compassion of the gods, meaning they're this stupid-ass creature and someone felt pity and now they're domesticated. Um, so humanity whose plight roused the compassion of the gods them with or endowed by them with the deity's own qualities right so the things that the gods have they gave to the humankind making the human being an asmazir or a god maker a potential god in a threefold combination a dwarf kinavalin uh is his animal nature in his human self he is an elf a channel or soul which links his dwarf nature with the gods and the spiritual soul of his, and I would say wrong, Hamingja or Hamingja, the spirit animal, right? Kin of the Norns, his guardian and mentor, which never leaves him unless man himself, by persistent, unremitting evil, severs his link with divinity, forcing the spirit animal to abandon her charge. So this is claiming, or insinuating, whatever else, it's kin, kin, and Asia kin that create humanity's current state. 
which is what we were kind of talking about between when does it go evolution, when does it go nature. And each three compositions are three different races conceptually coming into one. That's another paragraph on that. It's a good book. Sorry, where did this come from? The Masks of Odin, like a paragraph after. Okay. It's it's actually it's it's legit. Like let me see. It's one. No, hold on. It's multiple pages on this, but it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, roughly eight pages on this on all this mankind becoming into existence. Okay. That paragraph irks me in a way. Why? You just like a little dwarf hater or what? Yeah, fuck them. Uh, no. I'm gonna get in trouble. No. It's not. No, I forget. Dwarfs are like people. Like, no, like people. Like, like, that we have dwarfs in everyday life, and we're not just saying, like, I don't mean, like, dwarves aren't people. I mean, like, I forget that there's a classification yeah. of humankind where you know it's called dwarfs. You're getting canceled. You're fucked. Uh, yeah, I'm so fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I understand the basis of it, but to me, with the whole idea of mankind being able to achieve God status, no, we. To me, and it's not heavily Abraham. And so that is, and to support that, it says it gave them the ability to do so, but the other things were involved, so it doesn't. So it's like if the Aesir only gave them the Aesir gifts, then they would in some way be able to rise to the occasion of the Aesir. Because of our nature, because we're not designed the same way, build the same things, there's no way. Like, we're dwarf, we're elf, we're Aesir. You can't be a god when you're all those things. Like, But a god being, again, a single of omnipotent being. Right. And that's where now here's here's the fuck. Because I could see and I'll make this argument. I could see a human rivaling in physical prowess some of the gods in some ways. In some aspects we could. Not saying we do, saying we could. But I don't see, I don't have anything to say outside of it. I just gut feeling says I don't like it. And I can't, I can't say anything else to it because that have no reason not to. It's just weird. I thought you'd appreciate the spirit animal thing because you've been on that kick. So the spirit animal is the representation of the Aesir. I do. Oh, that's kind of cool. And that's actually, we did a whole thing about that not too long. Yeah, it was just a couple of episodes, but I'm still, the spirit animal is tied to the ancestors, and that's how we get our ancestral wisdom. Now, arguably, according to this story, our ancestors, our makers, were the Aesir, so... Meh. I just, it irks me for some reason, and I can't argue it. I can't, like, <laughs> push back against it with any, like, I can't get a foothold to push back. 
but I don't like it. Not yet, at least. So I'm sure we'll come up with something. Oh, probably. I have to buy that book because I had yours. You just barely got that back like three months ago. And look how much good use I'm using with it. I just only <laughs> two paragraphs of like four. There's one in between the one I read and this one. So there's one in, in between that's completely supportive of each other. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a good book. It's, it's a great book. It's a highly, like, I got this book when I was first starting my path. And I literally, like, tried to get to the first chapter. I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for this yet. And I just set it aside. Because <laughs> it was like, I can't even wrap my head around this. Like, it's really cool. Once you get that point of, like, now what do I do? Okay, like, no, like, I know it all. Like, I don't want to read the poetic at uh, the 14th time. Fuck the pros at it. And I know the stories of the gods. What do I do to to kind of re-maneuver or find a new path? The massive Odin will fucking open up another channel of rivers that you're like, what the fuck was that? Really good book. So if you're a lone practitioner or in a group, the massive Odin, you got to do like a fucking reading group, massive Odin will take you a good calendar year and get through like half of it. It's so good. I, yeah, I was going to say, it's arguably going to take you two calendar years to get through that book. It's rough. Yeah, I know you've been uh, advertising for that book, you know, to me specifically since I joined New Uppsala. It's just been on my uh, to buy list for since then. <laughs> I've just been buying other books yeah. and Jurassic Tana, Park Funko Tana. Pops. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, you go. I don't fucking like it. I I just don't. <laughs> and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a foothold to fight back, but I I don't have one. Yeah, and it's not, it's not unheard of to have a a species of humankind um, rise to godhood in other pantheons. Um, you know, you got Hercules from the Greek pantheon, but he was a, a demigod. Um, so he was born of godly powers, but he didn't know of them. And he essentially was human until he went through the, the tribunal and the trials and everything he had to go through. Yeah. To reach godlyhood. Um, so it's not unheard of to have, uh, I mean, in Norse pantheon, we have the, the Volsung saga. There you asshole. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. There's, there's a line of, uh, if you say, if you take it word for word, there's a line of a demigod and we don't know if through generations, if the quote divine powers, divine powers, um, gets diluted from every generation. We don't, there's no way to know. We, we have a lot of different stories of heroes reaching almost that status. So I'm not like, I know Beowulf in its debatability of historical or, fun work of art. Um, that one, he's damn near hits Godhood, so I... 
<clears throat> like this. It burns. <laughs> it does. Fuck. God damn it. <laughs> uh. But, you know, we said previously that, you know, yes, this is how mankind was created, but it's not the only time the gods, specifically the Norse pantheon, was interacted with us. You know, there's many other ones. Um, Wolf knows oh. and can time tie to a few certain events within history that a certain god or some uh, someone intervened or appeared uh, during this transaction of events. Um, you know, we also got the Lay of Rig, where uh, Rig comes down and creates the classes of man. Um, so there is another perfect interaction. Um, there's many other stories of Odin coming down, visiting... Uh, I was going to bring one of those up because this is more of a question for White Wolf. Isn't one of the three wise men or something in the Bible related to Odin? Uh, Alright. So, like, you can very easily come up with that conclusion for sure. You can also see the three wise men as the classification of man coming together and creating society. Um, I would jokingly say as soon as Rainer said the lay of rig was, and I almost in my brain said, rig getting laid, um, because that's basically what it is. Making the classification of man, but yeah, the three wise men, it's mostly on to what they bring as gifts, um, which is what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and silk, or something like that. My family would be appalled, I don't remember today. Um, but I've been through a lot, so... so uh, it's more on like what 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 they represent is based off of the the present they give, and one is tied to more like frankincense and myrrh and gold and and one ties a little bit closer to like the Odin concept. Um, but you could just easily say these are the three classifications of man's made by Rig. They came together to raise one child, who then created a society of people with the same common mindset and goal. So, uh, you could. It's not a breach to, to simplify three wise men into the concepts of the gods. Just as easily as a Christian can conceptualize and simplify our gods into, like, one being or whatever. So, I'm not knowledgeable of the, you know, the three wise men, but I'm, I went to Odinville Bay. Yeah. Would that track or no? Possibly. It, so, <laughs> and I'm not knowledgeable of the story. I've never read the the Bible uh, in its oh. entirety. Uh, currently going through it, and it's it's Dude. a rough read. Okay, so yeah. So so this one, and I'm just gonna read what came up. I know more about this than I should, but I'm really trying to forget. Um, the three wise men, according to the Bible. The wise men were three Middle Eastern kings, Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthasar. Mm, not Balthasar. Balthasar, uh, who felt compelled by God and a new star in the sky to go to Jerusalem and bring the gifts of the Son of God, or give gifts to the Son of God who was born. 
and that was Melikar hailed from Persia, Gaspar from India, and it, this is Balthazar straight up from Arabia. So we're just not going to read into that. Um, it's Arabia. So those, are the three, those are the three wise men who did the same thing. This one said they bowed to Christ's presence because they knew they were the promised, or they were, he was the promised king and the Jews and the Messiah and the Savior of the world. When the Magi were authorized to Herod to locate Jesus, Herod then commanded them by royal edict to return to his palace with information. Okay, so that's just a spy thing. Um, but that's the three wise men concept, and I'll do this real quick. Um, so we know kind of what the fuck we're talking about. Um, the three people that brought the gifts, there were three gifts that brought by three different kings, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, each of which tells us something about Jesus' identity. So his existence is brought to that, brought to existence, and his identity is recognized in these three different things. Much like the wood or the beings of humankind became humankind once they had these three personalities that define who they were through Owen, Billy, and May. Okay. So I'm not entirely wrong. Correct. So when you were saying that story, I was like, oh, I'm completely off. This isn't about mankind. Um, but then how you just tied it right there, I was like, holy shit, I'm not making an ass of myself by being completely illiterate. All right, Sigvidir, bring us with the pros out of... Get it. Three wise men. I, just as I, and higher is what they're named in the prose Edda. They are three kings that live in or around Turkey, which is technically the Middle East. Three kings, three wise men that can recount the tales of different people. The three wise men are the three kings in the prose Edda, pointing that one right now. This is going to be fun. Are you Somebody planting your fag? I am. I'm going to die on this hill. I have no... I really can't defend it at all right now, but I'm going to do it anyways. Rolling with this one. This is my hill, and you can't take it. Yep, I'm king of the hill right now, and whoever wants to fight me can. But when you look at where this story was written and where Snorri would have originally got the idea of these, and it is a story. Um, it even references it in the beginning, if I'm not mistaken, that it is purely a story um, of his recounting of these peoples. But yeah, no, it would it would make sense. It would, being that Snorri was a Christian monk, he would know of both tales. I'm going to stay on this hill that the three kings in the Prozetta are either the wise men that met Jesus, or they are personifications on Snorri's behalf for them. Huh. Man, I need to go read the Prozetta. Yeah, you do. I know White Wolf fucking hates it, and I don't know why. Because he finds it boring. It's not. I personally, I don't 
I'll be straightforward. I don't even like reading the poetic edda because I have okay. to think hard when reading a book when I just want to like read a story and comprehend a story. Like I like yeah. I like reading, you know, um Norse mythology. Uh there's a I can't remember the author. Uh but then you got the Viking way and then you got the uh the blue book uh Wolf has that I bought because of him and it gives that's what honestly I kind of want new Uppsala to do that no why okay the second you start first of all there is one word in our culture that I hate more than any of the others that word is mythology Oh yeah, I hate mythology too. Oh, yeah. I use Pantheon. A lot of a lot of Govar and most even He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. I just got back. You need to stop downloading porn during our podcasts. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with your bandwidth. This is these conversations. No, I hate the word mythology. Um, I had, I felt particularly salty one day. Story time. I felt particularly salty one day. And I was having a bad day. And this dude walked in. And he had a cross around his neck. And whatever. He goes, hey, so you, uh, you practice, you're, you're a believer in Norse mythology, right? And I was like, yeah, and you believe in Christian mythology? And he fucking lost his shit. That's yeah. how that shit feels to me, and I hate it. And I was like, I don't feel that way about your culture, your faith, your belief. I don't. But if you're going to come at me that way, I hate that word so yeah. much. I, I hate it as well. But for the the common people, it's how yeah. they know it. And I was like, hey, so it's not a mythology. It's a belief system now. Um, it's a pantheon. The Norse pantheon, the Greek pantheon, the yeah. Roman pantheon. Um, I still catch myself with Egyptian. I don't know why. I just haven't made the transition yet in my uh, word library. But I still say Egyptian so, mythology, even though yeah. I'm actively trying to say pantheon. Yeah, so just I'm sure you already know this being that your job in the school is different cultures. But with Greek and Roman, it's Hellenistic. Mm -hmm. Hellenistic beliefs. Yep. They all have different names other than fucking mythology. Mm -hmm. Oh, that one pissed me off. But so I, in essence, to all of that, when I picked up this book, this was actually a book. I think this is, no. Yeah, I stole this from my high school. Oh, yeah, you. I remember the story. <laughs> um, right at the beginning of my heathen path, I was in a class. It was a mythology class. Shit. Um, and that book was our textbook for it, for the Norse beliefs. And I looked at my teacher at the end of the day, like last day of school. And I was like, hey, I'm keeping this. And she goes, no, you have to return it. And I was like, I'm not going to. This is mine now. How much do I need to give you to make you fuck up? <laughs> <off? laughs> 
and I paid her and she was like, I think it's like $15 book. And I was like, cool, here's 15 bucks. Go away. That's mine now. Because <laughs> I have, I don't know if I can find any of them, but I have notes. Like yeah. handwritten notes in the sides of these things. <laughs> so I was like, no, this is my book. You can't have it. This isn't going to be like that Harry Potter scene with the potions class. Mm-hmm. Like, some kid isn't going to pick up my book that I have all these fucking notes in and just have all the answers to your tests and everything. No. Yeah. So why I looked at it as a belief. Yeah. No. And I'm right there with you. So why don't you want, like, a the Viking way, but New Uppsala written? I just haven't gotten that one yet. I'll be honest with you. I... So, here's the thing. When no, we bring up the, 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 the Daniel McCoy book where it has like a story and, um, you know, oh. it's not it, Yeah. The Viking spirit. Sorry. Uh, yeah. it's not written in a poetic way. It's written as in a story. So it's easier digestible for the masses. I struggle to believe some of the stuff that they write. Because their interpretation, because within the Hollander, I don't know if anybody's ever like researched Liam Hollander. He spent almost his entire life doing research and translating from the Codex Regis. He has this verifiable study. He's a scholar. He taught this at college, collegiate level stuff. When he wrote this, he wasn't looking at it as a cool story to tell kids a bedtime. He wasn't trying to recite stories. Yeah. He was actually looking at things and translating it to the best visibility. Even if it doesn't make sense, he translated the way that it was written. Yeah. With the prose edit, with Snorri Sturluson. Absolutely. We have people that had to translate it. I believe the Penguin Classics one was translated by a guy named Jesse Byock. Byock? Something like that. This one. This prosetto was translated from Snorri's original work by Jesse Biok. However, Jesse Biok didn't look at it as, oh, this is a cool story to tell kids at bedtime. I'm going to mm-hmm. write a bunch of bullshit. Nope. He looked at it as a, this is what this says. Even if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm looking at it this way. And this that's is how word I wrote. for word. Right. Which... Arguably, I understand what you're getting at with people reading different things. Um, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. Yeah. Go. I'm fine with it. Read the book that makes sense to you. Read in a way that you'll understand. Absolutely. However, once you understand the stories, mm-hmm. I would encourage everyone to find a source. Whether it's Liam Hollander's, which is a scholarly source. I used it in several research papers recently. And the Prosetta. Use that one too. Those read through those two because that allows your interpretation without modern language. Oftentimes, it allows you to dig a little bit deeper. Which, to your point, you have to think harder. <laughs> yeah, sucks to suck. Welcome to theology. This is as a common phrase that I've heard since I started with North paganism. This is the religion of homework. Yep. Yep, it sucks. <laughs> so what? Yeah. What if uh, New Uppsala does an accuracy book, 
and an easily digestible book. So you want a scholarly source and a kid's book? Young adult. Sure. Yeah, so like, have it where it's accurate to the stories and not being biased, but written in the way of Neil Gaiman or uh, Daniel McCoy. My only, if we were to do that at some point in the future, which that's great. I like the idea. I would want at the bottom of every page of that young adult book to be the reference to the actual fucking scholarly source. I'm down with that. Like, I'm fine with that, but I want the availability to go, okay, this is their interpretation. This is what the Codex Regis actually said. Or could it be um, having uh, what's the little numbers and then in the back, the index? Where it's, yeah, that's fine. Where it has the, the reference. Yeah. yeah, totally. Chapter, like chapter two in the young adult book references to the gilfening in the prosetta or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to bring up and support what Sumitra Upar was talking about with the Penguin Classics, um, just really, uh, just Biak or Biak. Uh, of Old Norse and New Scandinavian studies at the University of California. Nothing stupid. It was really uh, stupid. <laughs> but since since I, after you moved, it. it's it's been like this. So I think you're like constantly moving. No, your internet okay. cuts so, out. I can't do that. Yeah, I don't know why it's happening lately, but it's really bugging me. Um, so Jason Biak is the professor of Old Norse and Medieval Scandinavian Studies at the University of California, Los Angeles, and professor at UCLA's Kotzen Institute of Archaeology. A specialist in North Atlantic and Viking studies, he directs the Mosfell Archaeological Project in Iceland currently. Um, he received his PhD from Harvard University, um, and after studying in Iceland, Sweden, and France, his book translates in then it's his book. So he is a good scholarly source, even if it's the Penguin Classic prose. He's got his shit. <laughs> and that, that's what I look for, and I know I'm kind of a stickler for it. But that's what I have to do. Now, there are times where I will separate from that ideology of the scholarly source stuff. Because when you bring magic into it, these not always the best descriptions of how it works. Neither is the Bible. Oh yeah, there's magic in the Bible. Um, I like throwing that in people's faces. It's fun. But when you look at stuff like that, you have to get into the interpretations of other people, potential people. Um, I started looking into the Dead Sea Scrolls a while back when it came to magic. There were some pieces that I was missing to a certain project that I was working on. And I dug into random mythological shit to try and get an idea of where it was going and what it was expected to do. Um, White Wolf, not too long ago, gave the staff of Moses as a research assignment for our students. Um, 
absolute insanity. Fucking ridiculous. They were lost in the sauce, dude. They were gone. There was one of them who was still a student at the time that was like, I got this. Everybody else was Who was it? What do you think? Is it yours? He was a student at the time. Yeah, he was a student at the time. He was no longer. Yeah. He is now an Oathworn Gothar, and he still does that shit. Fucking hated that assignment. And I showed my passion behind it. Uh, yeah, we we uh we we shelved that assignment because everyone was about to. So so all right, side um, because our last episode was the wild hunt. That was the assignment that my wild hunt episode came out of uh being super aggressive and non-compliant yeah, when it comes to listening to the superiors. <laughs> yep. Yep. I appreciated yep. your little outburst, actually. I was proud. <laughs> I looked at your message and was like, oh, shit. Oh. Well, I've never seen him like this. Yeah. And it, was, it was a moment of pride for me. It's it basically, it's, it's all in the promise of should we not try to bring science into everything because it dilutes the spiritual belief because that's when it comes down to it. It's, you know, do I believe the earth was once a giant? Yes. Do I have evidence of it? Some, but not all there. There's a certain level of belief that I have to believe this was an effect. Do I believe the sun gets pulled by a chariot? Yes. Do I know it to be true? No. The well, earth, and that, the earth and that, goes mm-hmm. around the sun. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that kind of like a lot of we say is the belief that you need to be able to the masses. Am I still cutting out? No, no, you're good. Oh, it's a belief that the individuals are the masses, but at the same time, if we scientifically pursue every possibility, and even if we can prove it, even if like we're like nailed it, um, to your point, Rain Raven, then there becomes a formula of belief, which means you can do it wrong or you can do it right, and that's what we avoid or we don't or subscribe to is the mass, the masses following a single formula. Because it shouldn't. It shouldn't exist that way. And that's why science does work to a degree, but even in some scientific theory, depending on temperature or whatever else, it can alter. Um, so there are some things that if we formulate the, the chemical compound of magic, it is then just a formula. It is no longer magic, which is that's evolution. That's what we do. It's what we have done before um, with fire, with electricity, with computers, whatever else. We made magic into science. Um, but at the same time, kind of to Ring Raven's point, you can dilute it. You can get to the point where, say, I'm going to get this because of this. Whereas if you were doing it in a more spiritual sense, you would say, I'm getting this because it will cause this or maybe get the effect of it. Um, so I think that you're right. I think it should be very much like a support theory in science, but not the dependent theory is science. So I'm saying like, oh yeah, the Big Bang and you know the ice and fire came together. Kind of the same concept, 
exploding thing like that but we're not saying okay because of this molecule and this atom this then became this and then they would have expanded in this capacity like it's more of a supportive theory because then you can make it so finite that you can tell people they're doing it wrong and there's no way to believe wrong i would argue is that there is a way to do it wrong we just don't know it without sitting down and talking to the gods and getting direct answers from them. Oh, fuck. I mean, there's, there's ways we can culturally or whatever do things wrong in society, but it depends on society and those laws within them. Right. Uh, there is no right or wrong way to do it, but one gets a response from the gods, that means that you are on the right path. I would still argue that if you don't get a response from the gods, you're still doing it right. You're just doing it different than what their playbook says. Right. It's, it's a weird... This is one of those great theological debates. The science versus religion. I am still a firm proponent that magic is just science that we don't understand yet. However, magic is still magic. There are things that we will never understand. There are things in the world today that we have top scientists that have looked at it for generations that they're still going, I don't fucking know. What, dark matter shit? Yeah, that one we have an answer for, though, so they can get wrecked. Stupid shit. Chernobyl 2.0? Oh, no. Anyway, I... But we are uh, at our closing point. Any closing notes uh, on what we talked about? Uh, the main topic was mankind and the creation behind it. Um, we did go in a lot of different areas of different theories of how it went, whether they were an actual, you know, a log or if they were uh, zombie-like individuals just roaming around with no purpose or if they were... Um, covered by logs and they were slowly freed and peeled away into modern day mankind. Any closing thoughts from you guys? Yeah. And I was just going to bring mine kind of into this as well as back to it. I mean, it's not really over closing thoughts as opposed to, I just read two paragraphs out of a book that I haven't even read cover to cover. And it was enough that the three of us could discuss it. Um, just because you know a story doesn't mean you know the story. So I would just challenge you to find other sources. It may support your theory. It may give you a different aspect of your theory that reinforces it more than your current one does. You might have the simplistic version, and now you can get this huge political or this whole whole uh, spiritual and scientific backing behind this cultural belief. Um, don't stop pursuing the simple questions. Just because you found it in a book, even if it's poetic, even if it's this, that, or the other. Still challenge it, or at least find a supporting fact. Don't come at it with one angle. Because if someone has found a way to combat that, you want to have another angle to come at them from. Um, so, in my opinion, if you're feeling stale or whatever else, researching a new book, such as The Mask of Odin, is a great way to expand your mind, and it's not in any way a bias. It's scientific as well as religion. But... For me, it's just don't stop finding the answer, even if you think you have the answer. Yeah, 
I would, I would argue along the same lines that just because you think you know doesn't mean you know. If isn't it the Havamal? A wise man keeps his mouth shut, for he yeah. never knows what he could learn from another wise man. Same premise. If you want to bring the spiritual into it, the Havamal lays this shit out damn near word for word. Just because you know doesn't mean you know everything. So take that into account when you're studying. And don't get discouraged. This was a hard one for me personally. If you're reading and you're doing this research and you're going through different avenues and stuff like that, and something completely contradicts what your original thought was, don't be discouraged by that. That's a good thing. That means there's a differing train of thought, and now those two areas together force each other to become better and to have a more complete whole. We do it all the time in the school or interpersonally between the three of us. We have theories. We have these ideas. Each one of us has been like, yeah, no, but this says this in complete contradiction to what the other one believed. To us, that's not discouraging because now we have a debate. And the only goal from that is how can we progress this further? Obviously, we have these differing trains of thought, and we're not trying to convert one person to our train of thought. That's not our goal. Our goal is to find the flaws in both and come to a more cohesive whole. So when you're reading something, when you're doing the research, and you come across something that contradicts what you already thought you knew, don't be discouraged by it. Grow from it. Dig deeper. Dig it should deeper. be exciting. It's exciting yeah, it when that happens. <laughs> I fucking love it when that happens. I'm like, oh shit. Well, fuck. Now I gotta dig further. Now I have something else I have to now I've got to find another theory that supports this one that was contradictory to my own. Now I'm researching on behalf of that theory. <laughs> so it's just, don't get discouraged when something contradicts you. Be excited about it, because that's a good thing. If everybody thought the same way, we would never progress past sticks and stones. And your sticks and stones will forever break my bones, because your words hurt so hard. Maybe something else is hard. <laughs> uh, so, um, essentially, you know, I'm going to say this time and time again, there's not one true way of how we came to this earth. Midgard, there's many different theories. Each of us have a different theory and we each have our own personal worldview. I say, in support of Sigvidir, research on behalf of your worldview. Make your worldview stronger so it can defend against other people's worldview where you could both grow together. If you challenge each other through uh, challenging and conflict, you will become a stronger individual and a stronger believer. And also, don't try to solve every issue. If you simply believe that it happens that way, then you're not wrong. You believe it to be that way. Don't have to prove every single thing that you believe. If you simply just say, hey, 
I don't know why I believe this. Same thing, you know, Sigvidir, when it came to becoming godlyhood from mankind, he's like, I don't know why. I just believe we can't. There's nothing wrong with that. If you believe it, then you're right. And on that note, that's how mankind create uh, came upon Midgard and we were created from logs or we were a zombie. Only they would know. So, uh, so in conclusion, there's no answer for it. We <laughs> <laughs> created more concepts and theory. Crap. <laughs> yep, we uh we made your worldview more difficult in an effort to try to help you. You're welcome. And now we're just curve. So hopefully next week we can break another aspect of your worldview. Um we don't have anything planned yet, but we'll probably have something planned 15 minutes prior, as we usually do. Um so until then, we'll see you next time, and hopefully we break another aspect of your worldview. Thank you for listening, and have a good rest of your week, or your weekend, day, or afternoon. Hail the gods. Hail the gods. Hail the gods. <laughs>